Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. this Friday, the 12th of February, uh, a couple of prayer requests from listeners as we lead off today. Uh, a listener asking um, for a breakthrough in terms of a job opportunity, looking for God's will for that next step in terms of returning to the workforce during this COVID um, season. So prayers are rising for you this day. Prayers are rising for Lizzie. Uh, this is a um, this is a person who yesterday went um, to a crisis pregnancy center, had a conversation about uh, the potential of an abortion procedure, and is now in the process of making that decision. So let's be praying for Lizzie that she would return to her follow up appointment and have the courage and the confidence to um, to choose life, and that God's people would rise up and. Uh, not just be pro-life in terms of the bringing of a baby into the world, but really be there for um, for this woman who needs some resources in her life in order to be able to not only live a life of flourishing herself, but provide a life of flourishing for her child. There's a couple of prayer requests this morning from listeners. It's Valentine's Day weekend. That gives us the opportunity to talk unashamedly about love. So let me encourage you to center those conversations on the love of God, um, the God who is love. In case you haven't opened your Valentines from God recently, he has written literally thousands to you. Um, you know, so if you want to open up some Valentines this weekend, uh, open up the Word of God. Where in the Word are you today? Trust me when I tell you the Bible is better than a box of chocolates. Here are a few selected Valentines for you this morning. Isaiah fifty four ten. The Lord says, the mountains may shift and the hills may be shaken, but my faithful love won't shift from you, and my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord, the one who loves you. 1 John 3, 1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God? That's what we are? Because the world didn't recognize him, it doesn't recognize us. Deuteronomy 7, 9, another valentine from God. Know now then that the Lord your God is the only true God. He's the faithful God who keeps the covenant, proves loyal to everyone who loves him and keeps his commands even to the thousandth generation. Psalm 86.15 is another valentine from the Lord. You, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, patient and full of faithful love. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Ephesians three eighteen and 19 is a great valentine from the Lord. Paul is asking here in prayer for, uh, for believers, and I, by extension, will ask this as a prayer over all of us today. I ask that we would have the power to grasp 
loves width and loves length, loves height and loves depth. I ask that we would know the love of Christ that's beyond knowledge so that we would be filled entirely with the fullness of God. All right, and maybe my favorite Valentine from the Lord. This is a better than like a be mine candy heart. This is from Isaiah 43, 1. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You are mine. And then the Lord turns and asks, be mine? Mm, Let us respond. Let us respond by faith and with genuine affection to the Lord our God, who loves us, indeed, who is love. All right, Matthew Hawkins is waiting in the wings. Uh, He and I will cover some religious liberty headlines when we come back. That is some new bumper music for Matt Hawkins. I love it. There's a little bit of a, of like like a, yeah, there's kind of a Batman theme going on in there somewhere. (laughs) I like it. Do you have your superhero cape on today? Right. (laughs) Not not quite, but I figured we we needed to have some up-tempo jazz. I uh, do feel like your daughter is of such an age that you have arrived at the stage of life where you now get a folded over piece of paper cut in the shape of a heart. Yeah, she, it, it's not cut in the shape of the heart, but this, uh, if you can hear, uh-huh, is literally uh-huh. a will you be my Valentine uh, mm-hmm. with a question mark that, that, mm-hmm. that she gave me. So mm-hmm. now she's not quite right Valentine yet. Uh, your heart yeah, is walking it, around on the outside time. of your body in that little person. Yeah. And, and yeah, yeah, Valentine's Day has like, right, that whole love thing is a whole different thing as a parent. Yeah, they'll have their little pre-K uh, Valentine's party today and some pizza <laughs> Probably I'll do something as a family on Sunday, so oh, she's yeah. gonna be my little Valentine. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. Okay, let's talk about um, President Biden. Let's talk about uh, the expressiveness yeah. of his faith. Let's talk about how uh, folks are responding to that. You and I both read a piece in the Washington Post um, uh, related to the inauguration. Just kind of brief people in on what what the conversation uh, here is about. Yeah. So. Um, Biden's inauguration, um, as is super, super normal for American politics, uh, was laced with all kinds of um, spiritual and faith-related language, right? Um, from uh, his speech included it, and of course there was an invocation given um, by AME Reverend uh, Reverend Sylvester Beeman. Uh, there's a benediction uh, that was given. I'm sorry, the, the invocation was given by Jesuit Father Leo Don, O'Donovan, uh, and then there's a benediction afterwards by Amy, Reverend Sylvester Beeman, right? So um, using the words, uh, so the in, invocation uh, included words like gracious and merciful God, creator of all, holy mystery of love, and then the uh, benediction included things like dear glory, majesty, dominion, and power forever. Um so uh, we discussed it a couple weeks ago, and we were all interested because we thought that particularly when Biden talked about uh, religion, the word God 
was conspicuously absent, right? So we did, had a little conversation about faith and what that meant uh, to him versus what it meant to us versus how we uh, might listen to our neighbors um, and our friends when they use words like faith that in our American culture can be really elastic terms, right? And can kind of be fill-ins for stuff we don't really define. Um, well, <laughs> over on the other side of the aisle, uh, President Biden's getting flack from the secularist, right? Uh, namely atheists, uh, who, uh, would really prefer to keep all that God stuff out of the public square. And so predictably you get this, uh, Washington post column and, uh, it's uh, by Kate Cohen, uh, who is complaining about it and, uh, includes words like, quote, I think we should keep church and state separate and that the government has no business establishing any religion, comma, even a vague one, period. If it's got God in it, it counts, period. Um, and so she goes on to uh, complain about this. And look, uh, on the one hand, uh, discussing religion and politics, uh, you're, you're not going to please everybody. So this is part of uh, just the reality of it. Um, but what's interesting is that... It, uh, this author writing in the post is comfortable with transcendental kinds of language, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, she really and loves describes the, herself oh, as quote unquote old fashioned. Yeah, right. I don't even know what that and means. What, my favorite word that, frankly, mm-hmm. I had to I had to use my little uh, my little Mac OS lookup um, uh, in it. In the last sentence, quote Gorman's poem didn't mention God, but in its incantatory power. Mm-hmm. And it's grander of vision in speaking to and for each of us congregated. She uses the word congregated in that moment. It was a prayer indeed. And so it's a little head spinning, I got to say. So um, incantatory, is, and have, my guess is that's the word that you looked up. Tell people yeah, what it in, means. In, Incantatory is a, a <laughs> the first definition that comes up is a series of words said as wait for it magic spell or charm exactly so we're, exactly <laughs> so uh, we're we're know, good with magic spell or charm but we're not good with prayer because prayer would be right. directed toward an entity a being that is real and magic is not. Yeah. Like I just think that there's a part of the denial of the of the supernatural and the reality of of evil power. I mean, Santa and Superman get a nod in this piece. Like it is right. an interesting <laughs> secular conversation about spiritual things without really acknowledging yeah. there's any real spiritual power out there. And um I remember Matt as I read this, I I remembering uh Camille McCorder um, in a conversation that I had when I was in high school. Now, this tells you how sticky um, I found this particular conversation. Uh, she's a she's the mom of a friend of mine, John, yeah. and um, and she was talking with me about the passage of scripture where Jesus is encountering uh, the devil in the wilderness, right? Satan in the wilderness, uh, right. <clears throat> and and um, and and she said, "Why do you think that's in there? Like, why is this in the Bible?" And I came up with, you know, any number of reasons that I thought were good as a 16, 17 year old. And she said, this is in the Bible so that you will never forget that Jesus believes that the devil is real. Yeah. Like the world might deny the reality of spiritual forces of the evil one, but Jesus knows they're real. So if you're going to believe in Jesus, 
you, you need to recognize that, according to Jesus, the enemy is real. The devil is real. And yeah. you and you and you can uh, and, and can influence things in the here and now. So I just uh, wow, so much in this leapt out at me. And so I, I wanted us to highlight it today right. because I do think it's provocative conversation, like to be able yeah. to say, do you believe in Santa? Do you believe in Superman? Do you believe in the Easter Bunny? Do you believe in uh, evil spirits and evil forces? Do you believe in magic? Do you believe yeah. in God? Like there is a there's a path to a conversation here about the supernatural with our neighbors. Um, so thanks for, right. you know, roaming around in this yeah. with me. Yeah, I think there absolutely is a path uh, to talk about these things. And so, like, our reaction uh, shouldn't be one of, like, anger or insults or, you know, something like that. that that's easily kind of tempted to be or, – or even threats, right, from a from an atheist. Um, I do – we do want to point out their, their inconsistencies, right? And so sure. uh, she, her, this author says, you know, O'Donovan and Beeman quite rightly delivered non-sectarian prayers – knows mm. Jesus, for example, her words, so as to appeal to the widest number of believers, period. Well, the the concept of a non-sectarian prayer is basically nonsense. Right. <laughs> um, it, it's and, and frankly, it's problematic from a religious freedom perspective. Um, now, look, if people want to give benedictions and stuff, I'm, you know, I'm rare, rarely going to gripe on their particular language. But for me as an American Christian, if I were to uh, require uh, an American Jew or an American Muslim to pray a prayer that is not uniquely Jewish or Muslim, that is me imposing uh, a secularist expectation on them and requiring them to act as if they are something different than they are uh, for the sake of uh, participating in the public square. Um, and I think that's unacceptable, whether we're, we're Christians or whether we're Jewish or um uh, or, or any other faith. Right. Um, yeah. so, uh, it's not just about Jesus here. It's about <laughs> allowing participation, um, uh, in, uh, by fellow citizens in the public square. Now, how we do that, it's extremely nuanced and not everybody's going to be happy. Um, but I think we, we need to err on the side of letting, letting people of faith be themselves, um, in the public square. Like there's, we don't have to require people to trade out their religious identity uh, to, to participate here. And I think that's what um, this atheist author uh, tries to do. Uh, she also uh, uses a really, really common maneuver say, saying about 26% of Americans call themselves atheist agnostics or, quote, nothing in particular. Well, what they're doing here is they're claiming for themselves a part of the statistic that is the the rise of the nuns, right? So people have opted out of identifying with a particular organized religion, and they're lumping that in with atheist agnostics and saying, those are our people. Um, mm. I'm really skeptical about that, that percentage. It's not, not to say like we shouldn't, shouldn't care about what atheist and agnostic Americans think about these sorts of things. Um, but it's a little, it's a, it's a number that I'm pretty certain is, is inflated. Um, because, uh, nothing in particular does there, most of those, nothing in particular people do believe in God or a higher power. They're just not selecting an expression of organized religion, uh, from a survey. Uh, so we want to keep those in mind. So, yeah. Yeah. But mainly, right, you and I have to pause because because um, because we, we we you and you I both pay for through time. our pause. So, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> let's uh, let's take a very, very brief pause. And then Matthew Hawkins and I will be right back. All right. Continue my conversation 
with Matthew Hawkins. You can find him at MatthewTHawkins.com. Um, Matt, let's uh, let's pivot quickly to another conversation that I want to have today. There is uh, a court that has stayed in execution on religious freedom grounds. Tell people what is going on here. Yeah, so Alabama is uh, where we're where we're headed today. Um, the there have been some issues um, with regard to religious freedom. Uh, you might call it religious accommodation in the context of execution chambers and prisoners who are in death, at death row. Um, in the last few years, these have kind of been bubbling up, mostly conflicts um, in the state of Texas and Alabama. And um, what you have here is someone who had requested um, that their uh, basically their religious leader, their clergy, be present with them uh, when they pass from this life into the next. And uh, it's interesting because it used to be really routine. Uh, it was commonplace in under Alabama law for the prison to have a Christian chaplain, basically the staff chaplain um, uh, for the prison, to be present at the execution um, to be with the prisoner. Uh, but then comes along uh, a, a Muslim prisoner who was slated for execution and requested an imam be present, and Alabama said no. And uh, that's discrimination. Which for you and I, as religious liberty people, we're like, okay, just on the face of it, that's just like, I, like, I, can't, I can't, I, yeah, that's like, just hard for me to believe. So straight up, you can't, you can't provide religious accommodation to one expression of the faith and then not to someone else. Exactly. Uh, you, you just can't do that. Like that's that's codified in in federal law um, for decades now. Um, Okay, now, so can we can so, we have a okay, quickly ahead, though? Yeah, can we? I know, yeah. I know, because I'm pressing on time today. So that's okay. So just noting that that's going on in Alabama, it made my mind leap almost immediately to the larger conversation in the country about capital punishment. Virginia sure. set to become the 23rd state to abolish the death penalty, um, and it, it got me wondering. All right, if Virginia becomes the 23rd state to abolish the death penalty, you know, are we on what you see as like an active trend? toward yeah. the death penalty being abolished nationally. You know, I, I just, yeah. I, that's where my yeah. mind went. Yeah, sure. Yeah, the, um, I think, uh, I, I, I have no gauge on like the pace at which this is, this is happening, but I do mm -hmm. think we're on a, we are on a trend line, uh, where, uh, the death penalty is going to be a thing of the past. Um, probably, probably within your, yours and my uh, lifetime in America. Um, now, it, I'm typically one who theoretically affirms the death penalty uh, in in some cases. Um, I think there's rationale for it. I think it's an it, it can be an expression of, of valuing life, and um, uh, for for egregious crimes, there's you know um, uh, you know <laughs> uh, yeah, there are some blood, things that blood. where you say yeah I mean where you would say this is right? a righteous use of the state's this is, this authority yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I, I we had a personal experience where a, a friend of ours was murdered uh, and he got life in prison, although I think you could, you know, you could justify the death penalty for that particular uh, case. They, they did not. It's a higher bar of uh, evidentiary proof that we won't go down the rabbit trail there. Uh, however, uh, even as one who, who theoretically supports it, um, I, I do recognize and, and have have heard enough about the pr actual practice of the death penalty in the U.S. where I'm, I'm comfortable at least with a moratorium uh, because it seems to be uh, issued um, 
in inconsistent ways, shall we say. Um, and I think that's a justice issue that we have to be care- careful about. Um, and so I'm, I'm willing to hear um, uh, how, you know, ideas for reforming it. Um, but I think just as observational um, for, like you say, the trend line, I think the culture, our culture is moving more and more away from, from actually pulling that off. Um, I think you see, you know, where, where, where chemicals are involved, uh, those companies who have provided those execution chemicals are saying, eh, we're not comfortable doing this anymore, uh, which is a pretty interesting, uh, interesting phenomenon. So I think generally there's a trend line that that's not going to happen. What was helpful for me is uh, one, one theologian said, look, the uh, for we as Christians, we, we look at the Bible and generally see that uh, this, the government is something, execution is something the government can do um, to punish evildoers. Um, but there's if you look at the nuance a lot of that it 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 appears that government has the permission to do it they may but they're not required uh to mm-hmm. conduct the death penalty and i think that's a that's a unique uh, uh that's a pretty pretty insightful nuance um so uh you know in terms of you know justice and and the criminal justice system and how we go about uh you know operating that as uh, in a self-governing context you know i think we have a lot to consider on that front but i do think there's a trend line uh, away from executions the numbers are really you know generally really slow as far as how many people are executed um uh, over the course of years. So I think you see a general trend line. Um, and, and look, I mean, Virginia is, they're trending, you know, toward, towards a blue, blue state. Um, but they're by no means, uh, is Virginia kind of, you know, uh, the typical coastal, uh, liberal states that you might, um, that you might anticipate this this happening, and so, uh, yeah, I affirm the trend line. Um, but even as even as we do um, conduct executions, I think we, we've got to be mindful of people's uh, civil liberties issue. here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So as you guys are thinking about that, um, uh, another another thought line that you might that you might pursue, and Matt and I will not pursue it here today, but um, a thought line to pursue. You know, what's the national tipping point in terms of major moral shifts that are codified in law? Um, you could think about how many states maybe had legalized gay marriage before the Obergefell decision came down from the Supreme Court, or how many states uh, legalized abortion prior to uh, the Roe v. Wade decision. You could look at current conversations related to the decriminalization and legalization of marijuana and other controlled substances. You could look Mm -hmm. at assisted suicide moving state by state, um, or you could look at SOGI protections. Um, There's a national tipping point in terms of major moral shifts that get codified into law. Capital punishment is obviously one of those. All right, Matthew Hawkins, thank you uh, so much for helping us sort of think in public about, um, you know, the intersection of faith and, and our public life, public discourse. We appreciate it. Thanks, Carmen. Always a pleasure. All right. We got to take a brief break. We'll be right back. All right. I'm just reading headlines right now that Twitter has banned Project Veritas from its platform. Uh, Twitter CEO has also said earlier this week that um, the Twitter ban on former President Donald Trump would continue uh, even if he ran for president again. Um So many conversations and questions related to social media, related to the way we communicate with one another. Chris Martin is a content marketing editor for Moody Publishing. He's also a social media marketing and communications consultant. He joins me next. What does your team's room look like right now? Like a bomb hit it, right? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. 
I often meet parents who are adamant about their teen having a tidy room and a perfectly made bed. They demand a spotless household while the relationships are in shambles. Our homes are a reflection of who we really are. And our cleanliness standards reflect what we want for our kids. But a sterile home sometimes houses sterile relationships. Do you need to make some priority adjustments today? Maybe you can lighten up a bit and quit riding your teen over his or her room. It'll create an atmosphere of rest for the whole family, even though your teen's room is still a disaster. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org or search for Parenting Today's Teens in your favorite app store. Joining me now, Chris Martin. You can find him at the team's uh, Terms of Service blog. You can also find him at Moody Publishers, where he serves as a content marketing editor. Chris, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Okay, so um, I have so many things I want to talk with you about. Let's start with um, the online space that churches are ignoring. You wrote about this um, at Lifeway. People can find it at lifewayresearch.com. Tell us what's going on here. Yeah. Um, so Lifeway Research has been doing some work on um, churches on social media and churches engaging with technology, um, as you can imagine, and, and most of your listeners can imagine, because they've probably experienced it. Technology in general um, and advancing in tech technology has become really important for churches in the last year or so. Um, a lot of churches who maybe were putting off that expense or putting off maybe the headache that comes with being very active on the internet or having certain pieces of technology in their space, uh, a lot of churches who had who had put that off really uh, started engaging in that in the last year, given that it's been hard for many of us to gather in person, at least in the, in the way we usually do. Um, and so I uh, was asked to write a piece on um, – on YouTube and how churches uh, maybe are ignoring YouTube and how that they how they can engage more effectively and it's true I mean I've written for a while and and as I've consulted with churches and things like that um, YouTube is one of the most ignored social media platforms on the internet by many people but but the Christian space especially there are very few very popular or um, consistently posting Christian YouTubers. There are some, I'm not saying there aren't any, um, but it's a pretty um, Jesusless space in a lot of ways. There are some really great ones. Uh, the guys who run the Holy Post podcast, Phil Vischer and Sky Jitani are very good. Um, the Bible Project guys are very good. Um, so there, there are more than a handful, but I think the church generally, local churches and the broader capital C church, could do a lot more on YouTube. It's the second largest search engine in the world behind only Google, which owns it and bought it a number of years ago. Um, and and it's a lot of people don't think of YouTube uh, as a social media platform, and I didn't until about 2015. Uh, but there are the culture that is created and the communities that are created around YouTube um, uh influencers and, and YouTubers, people who are creating content regularly, and that's kind of their primary home for their online content, the community is is uh, unrivaled on the internet um, because it's so personal, right? These people are recording videos and their faces are there. So much more personal than something like uh, Facebook, Twitter, or even Instagram a lot of times. So um, I think it's really important that churches engage on YouTube. By the year 2022, which is just uh, next year, online videos will make up 
uh, more than 82% of all internet traffic, which is a pretty crazy statistic. Um, but yeah, I, I think once COVID is over, whatever, whatever that means and whatever that is, um, and churches were kind of back in whatever normal feels like, whether that's this summer or the fall or God forbid, uh, longer than that, whenever that is, um, I think churches are going to have to answer the question whether whether they've done this yet or not. How much of this online stuff are we going to keep doing? Um, mm-hmm. Because it's 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 been a que- it's been a kind of a non negotiable for a lot of churches uh, in the last year. Like, hey, this is uh, this is how we're going to be reaching our people. Um, and what a lot of churches are going to have to answer is: Do we keep doing this? Do we pull back some of it? Do we do none of it anymore? Um, how do we proceed? And I think. As churches approach that question, it's, I would say, pulling out of YouTube or online content wholesale would probably not be a good idea, even if you don't keep live streaming every service or whatever, which is totally understandable. I think YouTube is just such a a ripe field for harvest, I guess you could say, and a lot more gospel and Jesus could be there. And I'm, I'm encouraging churches to do as much as they can to uh, create content for it. Yeah, and when you say online stuff, how much online stuff are we going to keep doing? You're specifically talking about online video stuff. You're not talking about my pastor's blog or um, some other written. No, I just I want to clarify that for listeners because um, it's one thing to say, oh, well, you know, I post, um, you know, we regularly post Bible studies that people can engage in, but they're not video. And so if what we're talking about is, you know, is your church having its own YouTube channel, which is not a hard thing to do. Um, you know, where, how easy is it or Vimeo, whatever, I mean, how easy is it for people to find your video content? If I want to go back and I want to watch a video from your church, not just, not just that you streamed it live when it was happening, but I want to go back and watch it, or I want to share it with somebody. How easy have you made it for me to do that? Is that one of the, one of the conversations that we need to have? In our totally. local congregations. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I like let me speak to Vimeo and YouTube. Let's get a little nuts okay, and bolts good. here for yes, a second. Thank you. Um Vimeo's valuable in that there there are no ads. It's Vimeo should be seen as a place to upload your video on the internet in the most simple presentation possible. So if you're just looking for a place for your video to live and you can share that link or embed that link on your website or something like that, Vimeo is fine. But I encourage a lot of churches, if you really like Vimeo and it's sort of stripped down appeal and it's lack of ads and all of that, I encourage churches to post their videos to both platforms. It's not really that much more work. You, um, YouTube is does all the same things Vimeo does, obviously with a lot more uh, frills and other things going on. Um, but if for the good of everyone, I think no one goes to Vimeo searching for content. So if you had a sermon one Sunday that said, um, that, that addressed the question, where is God in suffering? And someone Mm. searches that, uh, on Google or in YouTube, your video may come up your sermon or the clip from your sermon or that clip from your Bible study or men's ministry gathering or something like that may come up in YouTube. That's not going to be the case in Vimeo. People don't go to Vimeo searching video like that. So I think mm-hmm. um, maintaining a presence on YouTube e- either in addition to Vimeo or instead of Vimeo serves a dual purpose of not only having a place where people from your church can go find your old sermon clips or whatever, but it also serves a purpose of um, providing possible answers for people who are going and asking questions who you know, your church is in Kansas and they're searching from California um, and and they just may come across and, and really stumble across some gospel truth. And so I think there's a lot of value in YouTube. Um, but if you like 
the simplicity and sort of um, more clean presentation of Vimeo, I would I would encourage doing both. But I would I would not uh, encourage ignoring YouTube entirely if possible. All right. When uh, Chris Martin and I return from this very brief break, we are going to look at issue number two hundred eight from the Terms of Service. Um, blog uh, that Chris posts. We're going to look at how black communities shape the internet. That's a fascinating conversation. We're also going to ask him what's what's the latest thing on the Social Cues podcast. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Uh, in the latest Terms of Service newsletter with Chris Martin, um, you can read about how black communities shaped the Internet, but I'm going to let Chris brief us in on it here. Yeah, there's an article in The Verge, uh, which is actually a podcast. Uh, it's a The Verge is a popular tech news or tech uh, website, if you've never heard of it. Um, they recorded a podcast with Charlton McElwain, who's a professor of media, culture, and communications at NYU and the author of Black Software, The Internet and Racial Justice from the Afronet to Black Lives Matter. Uh, it's on their Decoder podcast. And um, I thought it was, I, I didn't listen to the podcast, but they they kind of transcribed the podcast into an article that I read. And I thought it was super, uh, super fascinating. It, one of my favorite things to do is to study internet culture, not only like, you know, in our previous segment here, Carmen, we talked hardcore nuts and bolts strategy of how to use social media effectively. And that's, I, I enjoy talking about that, but I enjoy just as much, uh, examining internet culture and trying to figure out how all these different cultures, um, within America or, th or, or through the whole world kind of meld together in this giant melting pot on the internet. Um, and I think, um, what, what, Charlton here, uh, Professor McElwain, he doesn't say if he's a doctor or not, so I don't want to call him Dr. McElwain, but Professor McElwain talks about um, is how African Americans were disenfranchised um, in the early days of the internet, given that it was often in more um, uh, higher education spaces or places that required a lot of money to, you know, buying a computer into your home, things like that. Um, but in the late 80s and early 90s, uh, black people were um, building their own communities in places like Afronet, which I've actually read about in another book that I read lurking earlier this year and um, and how just how that evolved over time and how how black culture is influential in everything from the TikTok dances that are really popular mm -hmm. right now to the Black Lives Matter movement um, and and how how ingrained in social media, that movement and the, and the conversations that have taken place the last few years have really been. And so I, I am always interested in reading up on how different aspects of culture, whether it's the, uh, the current, uh, pirate song, sea shanty song trend on TikTok That's a big deal, which is just really goofy or, uh, or black culture and how it's massively influential in broader culture via the internet. Um, I thought it was a really fascinating interview and I commend anyone to read it. And, uh, it, it was very enlightening and, and I learned a lot of stuff. And I hope to pick up his book too. Okay. Let's talk about, um, free speech. Let's talk about a crack in, uh, the great firewall of China. Um, we talked about you and I didn't talk about Clubhouse, but I talked about Clubhouse with um, John Brandon when he was on a couple of weeks ago. And I have been invited to Clubhouse, but I can't actually join because I don't have an iPhone. That's like not my thing. However, pretty much everybody in China has an iPhone. And so Clubhouse, which is a new social media app, um, emerged faster than Chinese censors could block it. 
um, talk with us about what happened in China um, in terms of free speech, although it brief, although briefly. Yeah, Clubhouse is a an audio based social media app. So it's a place where you can create these little rooms and designate speakers who can talk. I mean, it's imagine you're at a conference and you go into this breakout room with 200 people. And there are five people on a panel up on the stage and 195 people in the audience listening. It, that's kind of what Clubhouse is um, in, in, an, in a social media app. And so the app really has – it's been like an early access for like invite-only people for the longest time. And now they're really broadening it. It's still technically invite-only, but it's uh, a lot of – But there's so many people, people on it that it's not hard to get yeah. invited. I mean I got yeah, exactly. invited, which is clearly right. – they're open to everybody. Yes, exactly. Uh, and so it really in the last few months, it's a month or so, it's really blown up. And so it really blew up in China where the Chinese government was not quick enough to censor it. So it has – the Chinese government has censored Facebook, Google, a number of major internet platforms. Um, and it's 1.4 billion people have not been able to speak freely online really ever. Um, they have this sort of digital firewall. You know, they have the Great Wall of China, and then they have this digital firewall that blocks them out from the rest of the world. Um, but Clubhouse got through that, and the before the Chinese government was able to block the app, there were people all across China um, demonstrating their creativity, their desire for freedom, and their desire to not have. Um, uh, censorship and, and oppression in this way. And so it was really fascinating. There's this great article in the New York Times uh, titled The Great Firewall Cracked Briefly, A People a people Shined Through. And it's a great uh, explanation um, of of how this happened and the conversations that took place. Um, one one um, Chinese user said, we enjoyed it with full knowledge that the excitement would be fleeting. This is probably a unique experience for mainland online users. Um, so much of the rest of the world's culture has come to China and so much of Chinese culture has come into the rest of the world. Um, and it's interesting, but, but largely on the internet, China and the rest of the world are almost blocked off from each other in a lot of ways on some of the most popular platforms. And in, for this brief moment through this small ish new social media app, there was this flood of conversation between Chinese internet users and the rest of the world in a way there hasn't really been before. And uh, some of the stories and the quotes that were of things that were said um, on Clubhouse before it was uh, censored that, that are in this article are very fascinating and very enlightening and obviously quite sad. Um, so I, mm -hmm. I commend anyone to read it. It's, it's interesting. Um, okay. And then I want to, um, I want to share the funnies with everybody because the funnies <laughs> is free and, um, and there's a really important, um, uh, we learned something really important in the funnies this week. So the funny part, uh, the funnies is something that Chris delivers every Saturday morning. And this week, um, it features an attorney who borrowed a laptop from his assistant to jump on um, a court hearing, and he appeared there as a little kitty cat. Yes, yes. Because it there was, so... was a face filter that had been activated on his assistant's computer, and he did not know how to turn the face filter off. Yes, and there's no <sighs> the best part of that video. If you haven't seen the video, you can probably Google, like, cat lawyer, and it'll come up. 
Oh yeah. Uh, but the eyes. And of it will that come up on cat. YouTube, by the way. Oh yeah, yes. Okay. Yeah. The eyes, the eyes of oh, yeah. the when fear look... that are in them. Oh, oh my gosh, it's the best part. Uh, but yeah, another fun. Just to briefly plug that, another fun little thing I deliver on Saturday mornings to a couple hundred people is just a collection of about a dozen or so pieces of internet content that are funny that hopefully brighten your weekend, especially if you've had a long week. So uh, that's called the funnies. It's the funnies.substack.com if you want that. So okay, it's a cuddle kick in the pants. So thank you. Yeah. I I need it and I appreciate it and thank you. Um, Thank you for it. All right. That's Chris Martin. You can find him at termsofservice.substack.com. You can also find the funnies there as well. Um, he's on Twitter at Chris Martin 17. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Amen. If, I mean, you know, just go to Chris Martin 17 on Twitter if you can't, if you just want to find him quickly and he'll direct you where else you want to go and what you need to read. All right. Hey, thanks, man. As always. Thanks. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right, one more Valentine as we close this hour. This one from 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent his only son into the world so that we could live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as the sacrifice that deals with our sins. It's Valentine's weekend. Um, if you haven't prepared Valentine's for other people yet, you still have time to do so. You know, just cut pieces of paper into little hearts. You fold them over. You remember how you did that when you were a kid. Um, write a Bible verse on them. Write John 3.16 out. Um, write out 1 John 4, 9 and 10. Just write God loves you. Um, and surreptitiously tuck them under people's windshield wipers or tuck them in their mailboxes or slip. I don't know. Are we allowed to do that? I don't know. Tuck them under the... Uh, the floor mat at their front door, whatever. Uh, like slide them into the little crease between the door jam and the door. Uh, just do something that communicates the love of God to other people this weekend. I don't know about you, but I can always use the reminder that I am beloved of God, that he has done everything necessary for my salvation, that he wants me to spend all eternity with him, including this very moment and this very moment. And this very moment, which means that um, I need to come to him by faith. I need to throw all that I am on his mercy and say, I receive the good gift of your love in Jesus Christ. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Father, for wanting a restored relationship with me and doing everything necessary to make that happen. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Heal me. Renew me. Fill me. I am yours. I am yours. God is saying to you right now, be mine. Be mine. Be mine. Respond. Respond in faith. We got another hour coming up next. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.